Hello and welcome to this episode of the Market Meter podcast. We're glad to have you on board and we hope that you're going to enjoy uh, the discussion or rather the conversation we'll have today. In this episode, we'll be discussing cryptocurrency, blockchain, decentralized finance, and what has been emergent in the past few months amongst the tech community, which is Web3. I'm joined by two of my fellow co-hosts, that is Raikard and Anto. Maybe Raikard would like to say hi to the audience. Hey, hi guys, welcome back. Um, as Abu has stated, we'll be talking more about uh, the current trends in terms of the financial system, our views on whether it's sustainable or not. So yeah. Yeah, I'm also pretty excited for this episode, I'd say. Um, especially on the DeFi side of things, because um over the past couple of months I've been involved actively in the space and it's something that, you know, has completely um blown my mind given its potential if we apply it in, you know, different sectors. And by the way, it's not only in finance. So I'm really excited for us to dig into this. Uh, back to you, Brown. Thanks, Anto. I think I'll just go straight into the topic of the day. And in last week's episode, one of my core missions was to convince Rikard, of course, to invest in a, in a few uh, coins. That's uh, that's Bitcoin, of course. Um, so let's start from this point uh, of cryptocurrency. Um, there are about like 5,000 coins, probably even more than 5,000 coins, all types of name, uh, the BIM coins, um, the coins like Bitcoin, which have gained mainstream uh, attention uh, that institutional investors are already putting money into. Um, we have uh, coins even by, by governments already in production that are being, uh, or rather the underlying technology is blockchain. So as we go into this whole discussion of, of cryptocurrency, um, as, we, as we try to break it down to the audience, I think it would be just good to like, get um a bit of, of feedback from you guys um maybe what you understand about what it is essentially is it, is it a currency is it um simply like the digital gold there's been a lot of discussions that something like bitcoin is not is no longer currency it's just digital gold um or is it just uh, a fake asset with <laughs> no intrinsic value and uh it's just been hyped right by uh, gen z and millennials um there's so many so many uh uh, I don't know if it's criticisms or compliments, whatever the case may be surrounding it. So so on this note, I think I'd like to start with Anto um, as we break it down for the audience. Um, what really is cryptocurrency? So even before I go to defining cryptocurrency, um, for me, I think it makes more sense, first of all, to define what we term as currency. Um, and I don't know if you know him, um, Naval, I can't pronounce his second name for, you know, it's one of those names, but um, there's one, I think, podcast I was listening to and he was on and he said, um, I'm paraphrasing here, so I might butcher it, but he said something along the lines of money is just a way of, uh, of transmitting value. Um, I give you this piece of paper and you give me, let's say I'm buying a pen, you give me the pen, but by me giving you that piece of paper, I got it by maybe providing value somewhere else in the economy, and then I earned this piece of paper. So basically, it's a transfer of value. You can say I worked, you know, six hours to get this 100 shilling, you know, um, note, and I'm giving it to you. It means there's that value I'm giving it. Basically, it's a way of keeping tabs on value and transferring value from one person to another um, for in exchange for, you know, 
different forms of you know products or assets and since the inception of such but trading systems um government has primarily been trusted as the issuer of money money mm-hmm. um when we're using the butter trade system or um maybe when you're on the gold standard or the by by metallic standard basically when we had when you had commodities when you're using commodities to transact as currency um in that sense it didn't necessarily have to be issued by the government but immediately we switched the fiat system where you had um coinage and also you know notes that came later um government really stepped in because i could easily print my own bills uh, if you have time we can go through the history of how the us central bank was built uh, or came to be uh yeah. in this current form the federal reserve basically each regional banks used to issue their own pieces of paper and these pieces of paper were issued these banks were the ones backing it so someone could you could offer a service and you're paid in this i can't remember the exact name but basically there were pieces of paper issued by a bank and someone will trust that if i take this to the bank the bank will give me this amount of money but the a problem came about in that there was there were too many versions of money like which bank do i trust so when government stepped when the system got centralized in the sense that now a common currency across the country like everyone transacted in coins and and notes that are created by a central a central body and so that's always been the case for money but now when crypto has come in crypto has pretty much said all that you're doing um the current system where we have we have faith in the value of whatever currency is issued by the government because you know we believe that uh for some reason as long as we both agree that it has value it has value basically value comes from consensus and rather the money we use doesn't have any so that means whatever the government is already doing is not serving us in the sense that you've trusted them they're issuing this paper but every single year they're printing more and more of it so by them printing more and more of it it means that the value is going is depreciating you have no control over currency but you're paid in currency you buy things in currency so for me i'll say if i get back to defining crypto crypto is basically um a way i don't say a store value don't say a currency but i don't say a, it's a way of taking back individual sovereignty it has value first of all because there's consensus among people that it has value uh yeah. china and yeah. crypto and people thought it was the end of crypto but the rest of the world does not think any less of crypto just because china's banned it so it's not tied to any particular nation it is a uh, open system it's completely trustless and anyone can access it so it's just a way of it's same as you would have the currency system but in exchange for having the government which uh has massive sway over the value of your money in this case it's more of a peer peer to peer kind of system where uh we can openly transact and keep tabs of on investments and valid and validate transactions and at the same time uh be able to do this in a very in a trustless manner where you don't have to know who you're transacting with because the ledger system is yeah. keeps tabs of all that um yeah that's as brief as i can keep it I think you've really gone quite into the into the into the, the specifics of what crypto is including uh, bringing out some uh, succinct um, 
aspects of it, uh, such as uh, the fact that it's uh, based on a distributed ledger that is public. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that goes into what we're also going to discuss, which is uh, blockchain technology. But before we go into that, I want to come to Raikard because Raikard is a bit of the crypto uh, skeptic. Um, I'm just looking at the Bitcoin price right now. It's at uh, $33,000. And we know at some point yeah. this year, it was at about uh, 60 something K dollars. Um, and and uh, I mean, there's been issues of it being banned by some central banks. I know Nigeria banned it at some point, but I think the ban was lifted, if I'm not wrong. Um, mm-hmm. In India, it was banned, but lifted. China, of course, uh, they banned it and the mining specifically was was done away with. Um, so looking at those dynamics, Rikard, um, especially from the point of being a crypto skeptic, uh, for the sake of the audience, what, how would you describe it? And, and why would you say that maybe crypto does not have any intrinsic value? First of all, let's start by saying that China going first, or putting the foot forward by saying that they're going to ban it entirely. I think they are the smartest guys in the room. <laughs> because... For me, if you look at how the economic machine works, I would say that financial institutions, like let's say most of the government, they actually bail out countries through the means of printing of money, whereby they transfer money from where it's less productive into where it's more productive. And if we use the aspect of the cryptocurrency space, it wouldn't be possible for governments to like rescue an economy in terms of a crisis, because you find that with the cryptocurrency space, it will be like if you have money, you actually, you are, if you are rich, then you're rich. If you're poor, then you're poor. There will always be that gap between the rich and the poor. But with the current system, it will be easier for government to like produce policies whereby that gap can be bridged and brought closer together, whereby bringing at least some form of sanity to people and reducing forms of like civil wars that actually do take place. And yeah, in also... Yeah. If you take part of the people in terms of money, you find that institutions will get the politicians, the gov- people in government, they won't have any power against the people. Whereby now, why would any country want to do that? The see, for China, decentralization. Yeah, you see, like China, they're more of a communist nation for years. So if, to them banning it, it was actually maintaining their form of communism, their control over the people. So if they could continue having it, it was like going against the government per se. Like, because also if you see like Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, let me just put it in general, not, let me not go to Bitcoin alone. All cryptocurrencies, they actually do not generate any value. You see, if you put your money in like a company and they're able to reinvest it into assets and plans that they're able to generate more revenues towards it, you find that the value of the company grows as well as your wealth. But in Bitcoin, it gives you no interest in return, gives you nothing, it's just flat. And it's just based on what somebody else is willing to pay for it, not what actually its real worth is. Because I can even start issuing my own cryptocurrency. Any, anyone can start issuing their own cryptocurrency <laughs> in any company. They like can just start from the blues, yeah. So yeah. for me, I'm always believing that cryptocurrency will go down in the long run. I think I think that that's at such a good stage for us to now even go into this topic of um, blockchain technology and decentralized finance because you've really touched on the dangers associated with um, giving power to the people. Because Anto is coming from a point of 
issues related to inflation, issues related to uh, leaving money in the control of some central bank. Because let's also be honest here, Ricard, we saw what type, we've seen what hyperinflation has done to economies around the world, Zimbabwe, um, I believe Germany and Hungary, and just look at um, its implications uh, when it comes to, to money and when it comes to decentralized finance. Uh, because Antu talked about something related to consensus. He talked about something related to trust. And when we look at what crypto is doing, it's removing that trust-based uh, model out of the financial system. We're putting our trust in technology. We're putting our trust in, in, in algorithms, for example. Although I would say technology would be more appropriate, such that we're reaching a level where banks are no longer necessary, uh, where transfers uh, in terms of cash will just be peer-to-peer. -peer. Um, we no longer need to pay fees. Because if you've seen the argument for some of these uh, guys who are proper crypto enthusiasts, uh, crypto crusaders, they're always talking about the fact that Bitcoin has not charged me. Like I've not been charged anything for my wallet when I transferred from, my, my, from myself maybe here in Kenya to my friend all the way somewhere in Australia or somewhere in uh, Europe, for example. But if you were to use Western Union, of course, it would come at a cost. If you were to use the SWIFT system, it's going to come at a cost. So there, there, there are some modern trends that are emerging. And um, even if we don't look at it from that perspective, the actual financial institutions that have begun to employ blockchain within their financial networks um, in order to improve transparency, in order to improve the integrity of their data. And we're seeing it take up many forms, even away from the financial world. Um, elections, for example, I think is it Estonia, they conduct elections through blockchain, uh, blockchain technology. Uh, companies involved in the supply chain management, um, they're going the blockchain technology way to ensure they can track their goods. Yeah. Just on that note, I'll allow Anto to come in and could you just give us a brief of maybe what you think about like DeFi, the future of DeFi, um, are we headed in that direction? And uh, just the economic implications of, of blockchain in the long run. Um, I think Abraham has touched on a few uh, very major points that give you an idea, first of all, of, you know, the landscape and, you know, the kind of developments that you're seeing all over the world. Um, we intentionally started the episode talking about crypto because uh, crypto is pretty much uh, the main application of blockchain technology that, you know, has, you know, um, let's say has gotten mass adoption. Um, yeah. So when it comes to decentralized finance, before we even get there, first of all, we have to recognize the fact that not all cryptos are built the same. Um, Bitcoin is not the same as Ethereum. Um, Bitcoin is a crypto in the traditional sense, the sense that, you know, there's a limited supply, the only 21 million Bitcoins. And so that's one of the reasons it gets its value. And also, um, as we were saying, it's trustless. It's a... Uh, transparent system, you can transact without any barriers. Um, so that's that's why that's why I'm saying Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency in the traditional sense. Like that's how most people understand what cryptocurrencies are. But for Ethereum's case, it's completely different. Um, there's that aspect. It has this similar functions to the ones I've described for, for Bitcoin. But on top of that, uh, Ethereum is a platform. It's a platform for building businesses. And this kind of ecosystem is known as DeFi or decentralized finance. And as the name suggests, decentralized finance, it's uh, based on peer-to-peer -peer transactions. So 
in traditional finance, let's say if you want to get a loan, you go to a bank and then the bank, let's say, ideally, they usually take savings and then they lend them out. But that's not actually what tends to happen. But let's use the hypothetical this time. So the bank is the one that um, mobilizes savings and then creates loans and gets a higher interest on that and pays interest to the to the savers and the lender pay, pays the bank interest. Basically, for you to transact in the traditional finance or TradFi system, there's always an intermediary. There's usually a body in the middle, whether it's insurance, whether it's a loan, whatever it is that you're doing. But when it comes to DeFi, um, DeFi cuts out the middleman first of all and automates the entire process. How is this automated? Um, there's something called a smart contract. A smart contract is basically code that is deployed on a blockchain network. So there are specific conditions. Once they're met, the code or the smart contract does some something. Like the entire process is basically um, automated on a smart contract, decentralized finance. It's cutting out the intermediaries and saying, you can come together, the buyer and the seller, the lender and the borrower um, can come together and they can transact without an intermediary meaning also all those costs that the bank usually charges are completely removed from the system. So it's a, the system is faster, uh, at the same time the system is safer. And thirdly, the system um, can be able to operate and exist without any intermediary. And so the costs that uh, usually go to the intermediary, you don't incur them. Yeah, and so just as I've described Ethereum, there are other cryptos also uh, which are also DeFi platforms. We have Solana, uh, we have Cardano, um, we have Polkadot, um, Avalanche. This is even another one. Uh, it's called Algo. They are actually a partner for, I think, the next, the World Cup. They are a partner uh, called oh. Algorand. So basically, crypto goes beyond just transacting. Crypto is a business platform. Yeah. And one thing I had nearly forgotten, Rikard says said, um, Yet said cryptocurrencies don't produce any kind of revenue. That is actually false. So as I've described Ethereum, I've said Ethereum is a platform for building businesses. And so there are different kinds of businesses or D-app, decentralized apps that are built on the Ethereum network. Uh, you have trading platforms like Uniswap. You have, um, you have um, there's insurance, there's... Um, you can lend and borrow. You can uh, you can trade securities with each other. So there are basically a lot of apps, or they're called the apps, decentralized apps that are built on the Ethereum network. And for Q1 this year, the all the collectively all the D apps built on the Ethereum network generated 2.4 billion in revenue. And this revenue does not. There's no central body that benefits from this kind of revenue. It's the users, the ones who are trading P2P. If I if let's say I'm a liquidity provider or let's say I I save my money on a on a saving protocol, the interest I earn is actually gotten is actually the revenues that the that are earned from the transactions, from lending out my money, I actually get to earn that interest. So crypto is you don't just there's not just capital gains, as you will say, let's say the gains you make from prices changing. There's also the passive income that you make when you transact on DeFi. And that's why I think DeFi is really huge. And people who don't understand DeFi can easily dismiss crypto as just a fad or something that's going to pass. 
but this is generating revenue um as as i've stated very clearly and i think the space is only going to grow from here onwards if cryptocurrency um doesn't have a future is there a future for DeFi? is there a future for blockchain within uh, the field of finance i've listened to tony's argumentative points i'd say that decentralized finance basically disempowers the institutions that are govern this country i might end up repeating myself by saying whereby in terms of a crisis the DeFi system won't be able to save the economy because you find that if there is lack of liquidity in the market, there'll be a rush to safety by people who hold cash, whereby they won't be able to lend because they are wary of the economic condition. But you find that the government will always step in, whether it's good or bad, more so for this case, if it's bad, they'll step into pumping liquidity to keep people moving and commodities to reach whereby people are not able to get them. So you see, there'll be always be that gap in whereby there'll be future needs for it and what we currently have at the moment. But when things get tight in the market, you find that a lot of people will suffer and the rich will just remain being rich and the poor might eventually just disappear from the face of this earth. On, on that particular um, point, uh, Raikad, I don't know if you've heard, but there are several um, countries that are launching their CBDC, um, central bank digital currency. Um, the, the Chinese government actually launched the digital yuan during the winter Olympics. Europe is considering and even actively working on, uh, digital Euro, the same case with the U S they might not outrightly say it, but of course there, there's some research going into that. The CBK is also pursuing one. Oh yeah. Yeah. By the way, even Kenya was considering, um, launching a central bank digital currency, but they put it off because of a reason that I thought was silly. Uh, I don't know. Only 56% of Kenyans have access to, I, I think, smartphones or something. So basically, they're saying is the the internet penetration in Kenya is not high enough for them to launch um, to launch a central bank digital currency. But even our own government is considering this. So yeah. central banks are not just sitting back and saying we are helpless. You're going to die. Let's kill crypto. No, they're saying you're going to get in this space and you're going to figure out how. You've actually given me. A good point whereby the digital currencies will no no the cryptocurrencies will disappear because mm -hmm. if there's a digital currency from the central banks they'll be able to con control this liquidity they'll keep on increasing the liquidity for it it won't be fixed as the way the legs of bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies are it will be a totally different space crypto is not competing with governments governments can still do whatever they want but for individuals who wish to protect their money from as you said because governments, by the way, if they launch the digital shilling, no one is stopping the central bank from increasing the supply of the digital shilling by a billion or by a hundred billion. Like basically no one is stopping them from, from increasing the, the supply. And so crypto or just the existence of this alternative public network means that if you don't want to be exposed to that debasement, to that inflation that comes with uh, the central bank increasing the supply, you can put your money in this particular um, alternative. I, I don't, I'm not saying Bitcoin is going to be the global reserve currency. I'm saying it's here to stay in the sense that it gives people an alternative 
to the systems that are already being created by the government. I think now, even as, as we continue this conversation, I want to just change gears a bit because um, we're still on that topic of blockchain. Blockchain is what has led to cryptocurrency. Also, blockchain is leading to something much more or has already led to something much more phenomenal, and that is Web3. So we've seen a lot of um, issues related to, let's say, censorship of, of ideas. We've seen a lot of issues uh, regarding a certain part of society seems to have, um, I don't know if it's a stronger voice or much more prominent voice, and that stronger voice has been deemed as the right. And so there have been those guys within the tech sector who are of the view that um, we need a sort of internet structure that is not really under the control of one or two people, that is not under the control of one or two organizations. Web3 is here. Um, Web3 might be the future of the internet. And um, I may not be as much an expert in this particular area, but uh, I think uh, this, this is the direction that uh, the world is eventually going to adopt in terms of um, how, how the net has operated. Because for the longest time, uh, figuratively, no one really controls the internet. And that's why I've brought up the issue of the dark web and deep web. But uh, Anto, I think I would like to get your two cents because I know you've been so keen on this particular area, even as we just have our usual conversations. Um, you talk to me about Web3. So could you just enlighten the audience and also myself as a host as to what Web3 is and is this yeah. something that's here to stay for good? Is this, is this the future of the digital world? Wow. Um, I, I, um, I think, first of all, I think for you to truly grasp what Web3 is, it makes sense to explain what Web1 and 2 were. So Web1 mainly was mainly in the 90s, you know, when the internet was just starting up. Yeah. And most of Web1, what that was, was just static web pages. So basically, you'd, you know, the internet was really slow, uh, first of all. And secondly, the, the web pages are not as dynamic as they are now. You could not click on anything or type in anything. Like, it was just like, a newspaper but on a website or a piece of paper but on a website so basically you couldn't interact with the data you're only there to read it was only it was read only um that was the web one and then over time as you know as internet as technology you know uh, advanced and we found different ways more um as it basically as the utility of the internet grew we got to web two from the early 2000s um web two mainly was built around large institutions, which basically yeah. acted as intermediaries. It's the same way we we're talking about the financial system. It's the same way it happened in tech. You know, you have the Facebooks, you have the Googles, um, basically, and all these um, blue chip tech stocks. Most of them were just uh, intermediaries in the day, in the in people's interaction with the internet. So that's mainly what Web, Web, Web two was, and Web two is primarily characterized by like all these institutions have access to all the data they keep all the data they collect your data they can monetize your data and basically the individual cannot control um what is done with their data like you just have faith that there's some semblance of security but at the back of your mind you always have that doubt that maybe my that like my data is being is being sold to some institution or some corporation that is Maybe they are selling products that might appeal to me. So that's yeah. that was yeah. the main. Uh, by the way, actually, that's the main argument against Web two that led to the push for Web three. 
yeah, the fact that there's no individual sovereignty or control and the, we saw what happened with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Basically, there's no, you can't control what is being used with your data. And that data actually sometimes tends to affect the democratic system, the way people vote. We saw, you know, during the election, Biden versus Trump, there yeah. were calls, you know, there was misinformation being spread by, uh, by Russians. And you trust these intermediaries like Facebook that they're going to do what's best for you, but that's not always the case. And mm. um, that's where Web3 comes in. Um, Web3 now re- basically restores individual sovereignty in the sense that your your interaction with most with the internet or with services that you get over the internet. In Web2, the intermediary is the one that has control over your data. But in Web3, you have the individual has control over their data. They can decide what they want to disclose to third parties or only these um, services that they use on the internet. Um, there are even some that you get to share the ad revenue with the platform. So let's say if people are advertising on, on Facebook, Facebook gets to keep all the revenue and they sell your data to these advertisers and all that. But to Web3, it basically says, even if your data is being taken, you're the one who, first of all, agrees that you want to share your data. And secondly, you get to earn the, the yeah. platform itself, the revenue with the users. So basically, Web3 it just it restores the individual's control and gives them power over their, their data and how they do things. And also, by the way, Web3 and DeFi are tied at the hip because Web3 is mostly defined by peer-to-peer interactions and uh, that, kind of, uh, that kind of system. Um, as far as it being decentralized, Web3, of course, there's been a lot of doubt. Even Musk himself has called out um, Web3 for being centralized in the sense that most Web3 projects are just funded by the same venture capital <laughs> companies. Yeah. yeah. So as much as they're trying to give you individual sovereignty, they're, they're pretty much playing, playing the same role the likes of Facebook play. Mm. Yeah, so the, the arguments against Rope 3, but that's that's basically what it is. Well, to build up on what Anto said, uh, he has given a, a, a good history on, of how Web 1.0 and Web 2.0, where we are currently, has taken over. And But in my views on Web 3.0, I do believe it will take over some spaces, not only in finance, but also in healthcare and law. So you find that the troubles with Web 2.0, there was a time that uh, some guy found out through the ads he was getting in the house that his wife was pregnant because he was getting <laughs> ads from YouTube yeah. on baby products, baby food, safety precautions for a baby in the house. So when he asked his wife, why am I getting all these ads about babies? <laughs> and he has never searched <laughs> for anything about a baby. That's when now the problem started taking over and uh, the conversation over when 3.0 took over. So you find that there are also some summits on Web, web 3.0. Tony t- told me a while back to get involved into understanding Web 3.0. So I've got to see some summits, but to my surprise, the audience there, mm-hmm. there were empty seats, like nobody. <laughs> so not many people are involved in it, but if you listen to the speakers talking about it, they're actually giving really solid points on how to profit from Web 3.0, or mm. giving advice to the next generation that on the t- type of technology that you should produce to s- ensure that our society is safe 
from the problems that we've experienced with Google Analytica should not continue because it actually gives an unfair advantage to people who are not tech savvy when it comes to competition, like mm -hmm. in our elections. So Web 3.0, uh, I think is the a company that was mostly been talked about was Polkadot Network. I think Tony touched on it a bit. And I love when there's views on open space and the blockchain platform. But what I don't really agree with them is on the cryptocurrency space. But uh, their views on how the blockchain platform should shape our society going forward. I think the community involved with it is creating such a good, if I may put it, uh, an ecosystem whereby it will really integrate our systems together because you find yeah. that it will be operating from an open open network, some some what of how torrents operate. Oh, there was a day I was talking to Mbalu, who's not in the podcast today, but he sends his apologies. Uh, I was talking to him how people actually put their videos on the torrent sites and they actually earn money from it. So mm -hmm. I was giving him examples that hey, we should start. We download like movies that are not there, then we try to like post them on the torrent website of the open system. Then now we get money from it. But when I got it further into Web3, I was actually like, it's part of how Web3.0 Web is actually is. That's how it's actually operating. <laughs> so we're actually trying to do it, but not knowing that we actually be getting involved with Web3.0. So I think that space whereby data won't be, it won't be controlled by any government or institution because they'll be, it will be running on several networks. So it will be totally open. That's why I think why also Elon Musk took over Twitter. Um, because you see, for Twitter, if they don't like you, they block you. Like uh, they censor you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially what they did to me. <laughs> 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 they banned me from yeah. Twitter. But you see, with the currents of Web three point zero, whatever you do, no institution can actually take over your views and your how may put it, um, your rights to open communication and whatever you want to say. So I think that going forward will be a good thing for Web 3.0, that I am excited about it. Nice. I think I think you guys have really captured um, the essence of um, Web 3. However, um, at this point, I think we'll just have to call it a day. Yeah. Um, but there's so much more to this topic. I'm hoping that maybe we can have a part two because we haven't gone into some of the fundamentals of cryptocurrency, including like how it's mined, how cryptocurrency is produced because mm -hmm. I'm sure for some of the listeners they're wondering, okay, I know money is printed maybe at Delarue, the mint along Thicker Road. Um, but how is cryptocurrency produced? Because it's digital money. So where does it just come mm -hmm. from, for example? Um, the other uh, applications of blockchain are within the, the DeFi community. We even talked about the decentralized autonomous organizations. That's an, mm -hmm. an entire topic on its own. We haven't talked about yeah. also. I think this is Rikard's most prized asset, uh, the non-fungible tokens. I know he has a number of board apes <laughs> in his portfolio. <laughs> so we haven't also talked about NFTs. Um, but um, I'm hoping we can have a part two uh, where we discuss further about all these developments. Um, mm -hmm. Even most importantly, Web3, because I think Web3 is really going to shift uh, a lot of how the internet is accessed. You guys have touched on so many important points, um, data privacy um the information that we received are we are we going to leave it to the big five tech companies are they five or six yeah. um netflix is up for debate 
<laughs> so so yeah um i think at this point uh we can just uh, end this episode i uh, yeah. would like to get feedback from our listeners do, do you want a part two or you know is there anything else they would like us to, to discuss in relation to cryptocurrency do you want mm-hmm. us to talk about investing in cryptocurrency and, and 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 understanding its price how it moves up and down i've seen i've seen a joke from trevor noah recently yeah um he was talking about the fact that <laughs> Uh, after Jerome Powell spoke, eh? the stock market mm-hmm. went up and then the next day it's gone down and it's just like there's some shady stuff going on at Wall Street. So <laughs> you want us to then us to talk about those things to expound on them, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Wall Street can maybe have its shady stuff. It's the capitalistic system anyway. But yeah. also um once you have an understanding of how these markets operate, you may, and you may you may not jump to such an assumption as quickly as that. So yeah. uh, I think I think um for me I've enjoyed the episode I've also learned quite a lot. I'm looking forward yeah. to the next one. Yeah, I'm most excited about this one. It was uh we definitely need a part two. Uh as far as investment is concerned, we don't so this is definitely in the future, but we will make some model portfolios that we might be sharing with you know a few of you guys. So if you that's the kind of stuff you're interested in, uh, you can definitely reach out to us on our on our social media, especially Twitter. We are very active on there. Um, and yeah, have a great week. In terms of the modeling, I think that's what would be a really good thing to show our viewers how we come with these ideas and our uh-huh. views so they can also try to do it for themselves. And maybe in the future, we might even create a course of yeah. how to understand how the market works, how to invest, uh-huh. how to get value from stocks and also yeah. other financial markets.